Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Catch every round of March Madness at Walters on Walters' countless televisions inside and outside the bar. This Nats season, make sure to add Walters to your pre- and post-game routine just across the street from the ballpark. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, you know, we see upside with Hebert. I mean, he's, he's a player that's, that's proved that on the, you know, at the minor league level that he was, you know, one of the top prospects in the game. We brought him up early in his career. He was thrown into a, a situation where, uh, you know, strange city, strange organization, strange pitching staff, and I thought he handled himself remarkably last year. And welcome to Nats Chat for Monday, March 13th, 2023, along with MadisonSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who was in West Palm Beach, Florida, site of National Spring Training. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi Podcast. You know, we, over the two-year life of this podcast, unfortunately, have had to discuss a lot of not-so-nice things with our Nats. Uh, There has been a lot of bad news, as you certainly know. There have been a lot of bad developments, as you certainly know. And uh, we have talked about those things. And, you know, these things have happened over the two-year life of this podcast. Maybe it's our fault. Who the heck knows? But I am happy to say this. On this installment of the podcast, we have something positive something exciting, something encouraging, something that is very good to get into. And this something is all of these things for multiple reasons. And the something is a contract extension for catcher K-Bear Ruiz. The Nats on Saturday afternoon announced having agreed with catcher K-Bear Ruiz on an eight-year contract extension with two club options. Yes, the Nationals, the Washington Nationals, they have done a long-term contract extension with a player who, in fact, hasn't even yet reached arbitration eligibility. The news of this broke on Friday night. Mark, I have to tell you, when I saw your tweet reporting this news, I had to double and triple check that this wasn't some like Mark Zuckerman parody Twitter account that was putting this out there, that this wasn't some, you know, Twitter fake news, some Russian disinformation that was out there. I really couldn't believe (laughs) that the Nats had done this, but they've done this. And I think it's really exciting. Good for you for confirming that because there are a lot of fake accounts out there impersonating me or someone who sounds like me. So, you know, perhaps it was one of those that you were worried about. Look, I'll be honest, I did not see this coming. And I say that not because I didn't think Kaber Ruiz was deserving of this, but because I just did not think that the Nationals were in a position right now to make this kind of move. It's the kind of move you and I have talked about since we started the podcast, wanting them to try to do, and it's not for lack of effort. They have attempted to do things like this 
in the past, but they finally found the guy who was willing and able to do it. But I think even beyond that, you know, we're going to get to this. There's a lot of larger picture here, tangential stories that kind of go with this. I think it's really encouraging that the organization and particularly ownership was in a position that they felt like this is something they could do. I didn't think, given all the uncertainty at the top of the organization, we would have any chance of seeing anything like this for quite a while. I don't think anybody did, especially given the history of the organization and these circumstances. Well, it's great to have you with us here on this installment of the Nats Chat Podcast. Uh, We want to let you know that you can pre-order your Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. We've got the classic navy blues ready for you, so hit us up, natschatpodcast.square.site. Also, we are uh, open for business for the 2023 season if you would like to sponsor the podcast, including if you would like to sponsor like individual episodes, like say sponsor the opening day episode or sponsor the episodes for which uh, Mackenzie Gore has just pitched a game, that kind of a thing. Hit us up. Let us know. Email the great Tim Shovers, the mastermind of this podcast. The email address is natschatpodcast at gmail.com. So yeah, before we get into like why this extension is, I think, so smart from a baseball standpoint and why this is such a departure from the past, I think the obvious thing that hits you maybe more than anything is, does this say anything about the ownership situation? Does this tell us anything about, hey, the learners aren't going anywhere or the learners maybe are going somewhere? Or does this not communicate anything to you about the sale of the team? Well, I don't know if it necessarily telegraphs whether they're holding on the team for a while or selling the team tomorrow. But I do think it obviously says that they aren't just in a holding pattern when it comes to baseball matters and financial matters. You know, let's be clear. They have not made any kind of significant financial commitment beyond one or in one case, two years since last April when the word got out they were looking to sell the team. They've done nothing. I mean, the money they spent this winter was as minimal as it could get, no long-term investments. So the fact that they were willing to do that right now, I think is a very good sign that at the very minimum, they're not going to let the ownership question of whether they are keeping the team or selling the team impact Mike Rizzo from making what he believes is a smart baseball decision, even if that has long-term ramifications. So I think that's incredibly encouraging. I don't necessarily think that means that they're going to go out and sign somebody else to a $100 million contract or that, you know, fully open for business or that this means, hey, the learners are all in now. They're going back to having a top 10 payroll immediately. No, I don't think it's any of that. There's still a lot of other matters that have to be resolved, but it's way better than what I feared was the case. I think a lot of people feared was the case, which was, okay, we're just going to tread water until we figure out if we're selling the team or not. And okay, good luck fielding a team with whatever finances you have. We're not adding to that anymore. So to me, that's a really encouraging sign. It's not the ultimate best case scenario, but it's way better than what I thought it would have been. Well, I think it is worth highlighting this. So the first eight seasons of this contract extension reportedly are worth $50 million. This is not some mega money contract. This is not some bonkers deal that you say to yourself, oh my goodness, how could this team ever have done something like this? This is an ultra team friendly contract, eight years, $50 million, and then you have two club options tacked onto that. So, you know, eight for 50, that's an AAV of $6.25 million per year. So, like, to me, this really isn't that ginormous of a financial commitment. Like, this is a more than doable contract, I think, 
from a club perspective. Now, I think it's a very smart contract to do. The Nats, in doing this, have bought out Kbert's uh, final two pre-arbitration seasons, his three arbitration seasons and his first three free agency seasons. But like, it is eight for 50. Like, You wonder if this was a player of like a higher level and it was going to cost, say, $100 million to do a contract like this. You know, Would the Nats have been able to do something like this? And so I do still wonder about that. But you know, just how about the fact that this is, in fact, the first time that the Nats have signed someone to a long-term contract extension before his arbitration eligibility? Like, I really think that that is significant in a time in which so many other teams have signed so many other players to these arbitration years consuming contract extensions. And we've talked so much about the Atlanta Braves. I mean, these kinds of extensions were pioneered by John Hart with the Indians in the 90s. These extensions go back like 30 years now. These aren't new. This isn't like some revolutionary concept. Like teams have been doing this for decades. And yet the Nats, not until this Capert Ruiz scenario, have done something like this. So I do think this is significant, like historically speaking. I know that may sound like exaggeration, but no, like this is, I think, a really big deal if you're a Nats fan. Yeah, it absolutely is. The only players they've done anything even close to this with and it's not the same because they were already entering their first year of arbitration. It was Ryan Zimmerman way back when, I think it was 2009, the first time he signed an extension. And then Gio Gonzalez, right as they acquired him from the A's in the trade, they immediately signed him to a five-year extension. He was in the same boat, first year of arbitration. Cabert Ruiz is still a couple years away from any of that. Like you said, you're buying out five years of club control here. And then the first three years of free agency with the potential for even two more beyond that with the club option. So you're talking about guaranteed through 2030 and the potential for 2031 and 32 if they pick up the options. So this is not anything this team has ever been able to do. Now, that's not for lack of trying, as Mike Grizzo kept pointing out. They have attempted to do these things in the past. You know, we don't know specifics of what was offered or if this one was different in any way, except we do know one very important difference with this one compared to so many of the others. Cabert Ruiz is no longer represented by Scott Boris. And that happened only two weeks ago that he left Boris to go to Octagon. You know, that was notable at the time. We thought, oh, okay, that, that's something that maybe tells you a little bit something. I don't know specifics yet of the timing of all this, whether the two go together, but it's pretty easy to make a connection there and say that if Cabert Ruiz is still represented by Scott Boris, this probably does not get done right now because Boris would say, and it's his right to say it, and I don't think he's necessarily wrong for saying it, that Ruiz in the long run could have been better off waiting it out, becoming the player he's supposed to be, letting the arbitration system work for him, raise his salary every year, and then get to free agency where he can make even more. This could end up, you know, look, he's going to make his $50 million, but it could end up hurting Ruiz if he becomes an all-star catcher, let's say and he makes his money through all this and the deal is up, he's going to be a free agent catcher at like age 34. You're not getting a whole lot of great deals at that point. So he may have left a lot of money on the table. However, if he does not pan out into being that, then the Nationals are spending more than he was probably worth. So that's why, as Rizzo said, this is one of those deals where both sides have are a little bit nervous about it. And that's okay. That's the way these things should be on a good deal. Yeah, I did think it was interesting, though, with Mike Rizzo saying that at his press conference on Saturday afternoon, because I do think from a club perspective, there isn't much risk with this. Like, if Kbert Ruiz doesn't pan out, you're still talking about $50 million over eight years. I mean, 
that's basically peanuts in today's MLB, you know? So I think it's well worth the risk to do something like that. And, you know, from Cape Barrett's perspective, yeah, I mean, if he becomes a franchise catcher, there's no doubt that he will have left a lot of money on the table. But, you know, catcher is such a grueling position. These guys take such a beating. You know, it's hard to ignore Cape Ruiz, what happened with him last September, right? A testicular contusion that ended his season. You know, maybe that was kind of like his career flashing before his eyes of, man, I don't know what's going to happen to me behind home plate, okay? Like, it is really tough. Catchers age so quickly. Why not just take $50 million guaranteed now? And at least you know that you've got that. It's essentially money in the bank. You know, it's not going anywhere. And so I can sort of get it from his perspective, too. But, you know, with him being a catcher, it is fascinating. So the Nats essentially now have Cabert Ruiz for 10 seasons of club control, 2023 through 2032. Those are his age 24 through age 33 seasons. If he pans out, this may be the only contract the Nats have to do with him. You know, because I don't think you're spending significant money to re-sign a catcher well into his 30s, as Kbert will be once he gets through that 2032 season. So if this does work out, this is like the steal of the century. We've talked about like some of those Braves deals, right? And like how especially the Ronald Acuna Jr. and Ozzie Albies long-term extensions were almost like unfair in terms of how heavily favored they are toward the club. I kind of feel like this is that way with the Nats. Now, I know that Kbert isn't viewed the same way as, say, like an Acuna is, but I thought it was interesting that Mike kept using that line at the presser of, yeah, you know, both sides are, are not entirely comfortable with this. I bet you Mike is pretty comfortable with this extension. I think so, because as you said, that's $50 million spread out over a long period of time. I don't have the exact financials of year by year, but in any given year, this is not going to be so crippling to them that it prevents them from doing a lot of other things. This isn't like Steven Strasburg making $35 million a year not to pitch or Patrick Corbin making $30 million a year to have a, a six ERA. So even if it doesn't work out, I don't think this is the kind of thing that's going to hamstring them as an organization the way that some major contracts could. But the other point I, I want to make here, and I think we tend to think of this all about being about money and players trying to maximize what they can get. You saw it from Kbert Ruiz, you know, as he announced this and, you know, getting to know him a little bit over the last couple of years, I could sense how important this was to him. This is about his family. This is about securing, as he put it, the safety of his family. He is from Venezuela, as we know, that is a dangerous country with a lot of issues. And major league players are big targets there. We saw this with Wilson Ramos over a decade ago. He was kidnapped outside his own home and held for ransom for a couple of days. Cabert Ruiz said the very first thing he wants to do with this money is buy a house for his parents so they will be safe. Those were his words. I want to buy a house for my, for my family, mom and dad, and just keep them safe. It tells you so much about what really matters to a lot of these players from foreign countries and particularly those from Venezuela. And so while, yes, maybe he left some money on the table and he could have played this out, there are larger reasons here, life reasons for him to agree to something like this. It's not just about getting as much money as he can. It's about protecting his family in a way that he's now able to because he has made it to the big leagues and is highly touted and looks like he could be a cornerstone player for a long time. So to go back to the Scott Boris factor, because I thought it really stood out when you asked Mike Rizzo about, hey, is it satisfying to get an extension like this done? 
And like the first thing that Mike said was, well, it's the first one we ever got done. Yeah, but it wasn't the first attempt at it. You know, and Mike wanted to let it be known, hey, we've tried to do this before. And look, whatever criticisms that we've had of Mike Rizzo, like he is a smart guy. I'm sure he understands the significance of trying to sign quality players to long-term extensions that eat up arbitration years and also free agency years. So I don't think there's any question. The Scott Boris factor has been a factor in the Nats having not done this, given all of the Boris clients who the Nats have had, right? When you think about Strasburg and Harper and Rendon and Soto, et cetera. But I also think that you're giving the club a huge benefit of the doubt if you think this has been all about Boris. Like, we know enough about the learners to know they don't like to pay until they absolutely have to pay. And in those circumstances in which negotiations have been detailed, like you think about the Soto contract extension negotiations that were laid out by ESPN's Jeff Passan last summer, you know, it always felt like each offer was a day late, a dollar short. So while I think it's more than correct to say the Boris factor has been a significant factor, maybe even the biggest factor, I do get the sense, and I'm basing this too off some conversations I've had with people, that the Nats haven't been uber-aggressive in trying to sign these players. And I don't think that's a Mike Rizzo thing. I think that's probably been a more of a learner's thing, and Mike has only been allowed to go so far in trying to sign these players. So I just think it's important to point that out. Like, it doesn't have to be one reason behind this. I think it could be multiple things. But the bottom line is, I think it's good that the Nats did this because I think it's low risk and it is really high upside. I think also we have to remember here, this is not a knock on K-Bird at all, but he is not in the same class as a lot of those young star players they've had in the past who they would have tried to do this with. Juan Soto, Bryce Harper, Anthony Rendon, Trey Turner. These are superstar players who were known to be superstars right from the get-go and who knew that ultimately they were going to be making nine-figure contracts, not eight-figure contracts like this. So that may have had a little bit to do with it. But you are right in saying that you look at those previous ones and what we know about them, it did always feel like they didn't necessarily make the best possible offer they could. They could have taken another step and really tried to knock their socks off and convince them to do it. And to be honest, maybe they didn't do that in this case, and they just found a player and an agent that were willing to go through with it. It's possible that this is a mistake on Ruiz's part and his agent's part to say, well, hang on a second. You could have done a lot better than this. You're worth more than that. So this may in some ways, you know, be the Nationals taking advantage of them. Cabert's a smart guy, you know, and like I said, he has his reasons for doing this. I think he's in a little different position than some of those others. I don't know what it would have taken, let's say, to lock up Juan Soto, you know, in 2019, essentially after his first full big league season. I don't know what it would have taken, but it would have taken more than this. And did the Nats ever get to a point that they really made an offer that you say, wow, how could he turn that down? I don't know they ever got to that point. No, it doesn't seem like they did. But the timing of this, I think, does stand out too, that if you're going to sign guys to extensions that eat up RB years and free agency years, like you really have to do it almost like before you're ready to do it. You know, like you, you can't do it once the guy has become great. You have to do it before the guy becomes great. And I think that's been part of the problem. Like there's been a, a lot of reactive instead of proactive behavior in these situations. And so, you know, you roll the dice. I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast. Look, this approach can cost you. I mean, I think we all would have said 2018, 2019, hey, sign Victor Robles to a contract like this, right? Well, today that contract wouldn't look so good. So you're going to miss on some of these. But, you know, if the miss, one more time, eight years, 
$50 million, you can live with that. You can swallow that. You know, that's not seven for 245 like you did with Steven Strasburg. Now, let's talk about Kbert Ruiz as a player. So if you go by Fangraph's version of wins above replacement, Kbert Ruiz for the 2022 regular season was number 15 among all major league catchers in F-War 1.7. So this guy, in theory, is an ascending player. Last season was only his age 23 season. Now, the bulk of his war was his defense. The offense needs some work. But, you know, it's interesting with catchers because the offensive bar for catchers really has come down. So like if you look at K-Bert's OPS plus for last year, it was 95. It was a little below league average. These days, if you as a catcher are like a league average hitter, but are a plus defender, that's actually a good catcher. You know, the, the days of like, you know, Johnny Bench and Yogi Berra, those days might be gone because if you're a great hitter, they move you from catcher, as was the case with Bryce Harper. So what do you think the Nats think K-Bert Ruiz realistically can become as a catcher? Yeah, I think they believe he will be one of the best defensive catchers in the game. That's with experience, learning how to call games better. That's going to happen, they believe, over time. We know that he throws very well. When you add up the caught stealings and the pickoffs, 22 runners thrown out on bases last year, which was tied for second most among all major league catchers. We know he's got that skill set. So I think they view him first and foremost as a good, really good defensive catcher. And as an offensive player, they see somebody who, number one, makes very good contact. And now they're going to try to develop some more power and some more consistency and selection at the plate and what he hits. You know, he hit 251 last year. He really didn't hit for much power. He did in the minors. And I think they believe that this year, we're going to start to see more of that. He's so good at putting the bat on the ball, but sometimes he needs to know which pitch to go after and when it's okay to try to hit the ball for power. You get a pitch on the inner half, turn on it. You don't have to try just to flare it in the left center field. So let's say he becomes, and I think team officials would say this is maybe like their idea of what he could be, 275, maybe 280 hitter who hits 25, maybe 30 doubles and approaches 15, maybe even a great year, 20 home runs. I mean, that's really good for a catcher, like you said, in today's game. You combine that with being one of the better defensive catchers that should be out there, that's an all-star. I think they see him potentially being an all-star catcher. And at this price, that's absolutely more than fair and probably a steal if he blossoms into all that. Now, like you said, a catcher, there are so many things that can go wrong, concussions, other physical demands. We haven't even gotten to the idea of, will he still be a catcher when this deal is up? We don't know that. And if he's not, is he going to be enough of an offensive player to merit being a first baseman or a DH? I don't know. He's focused totally on being a catcher for right now, and he's only 24. They don't really have to think about this. But those would be the long-term concerns. But I think there is generally a vibe and a feeling that we just scratched the surface last year. And if you look at, I think everyone agrees, the best catcher, all-around catcher in the game right now is JT Real Muto. Look at him, his first full big league season, pretty comparable and in some ways even worse offensively than what Cabert Ruiz was last year. So there's plenty of room for growth there and reason to think that he can continue to grow. Yeah, JT Realmuto in 2015, his first full major league season had an OPS plus of 92. K-Bert's last season was 95. So like, there you go, you know, right there. And then Realmuto really took off. So yeah, I mean, you are banking on the player getting better, but there's no reason to think that K-Bert Ruiz won't be getting better. <laughs> 
Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. You know I love my analytics. Well, here are some stats for you. 43% of your utility bill is heating cost. You can save up to 30% on your heating cost with new Window Nation windows. Energy costs are rising. In Washington, D.C., energy costs are up 25% as compared to where they were at last year. It's not too late to address your high energy costs by getting yourself some new Window Nation windows and take advantage of Window Nation's off-season prices. Get two free windows with every two windows that you buy, plus pay zero money down, make zero payments, and get 0% financing for 24 months. That's two years, pay nothing. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Are your current windows leaking? Hey, that can cause serious structural damage to your home and can cause mold to grow. Leaky windows can allow mold to grow inside your home completely unnoticed. Get yourself some new Window Nation windows. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. And tell Window Nation that you want what you heard about from Al Galdi. Two free windows for every two windows that you buy, plus zero money down, zero payments, and 0% financing for 24 months. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, some other items from National Spring Training in recent days. So the Nats on Friday afternoon made their second round of spring training cuts, and uh, a couple of them stood out in particular. So outfielder Yadiel Hernandez was reassigned to minor league camp. We, of course, have seen a lot of Yadiel at the major league level over the last three seasons, but you know, and this kind of went not noticed all that much this past fall, but Yadiel this past November 15th was put through waivers. He cleared outright waivers and he was assigned to AAA Rochester. So he got removed from the 40-man roster and he was participating in Nats camp as a non-roster invitee. So you could tell his stock had fallen, certainly in the way that the club was perceiving him. And uh, now he doesn't even make it through the second round of uh, spring training cuts. Uh, We know that he's an older guy this coming season will be his age 35 season. I thought the bigger surprise, though, was the Nats optioning infielder Jake Alou to AAA Rochester. Jake Alou, a really interesting story, a 24th round draft pick, 2019 draft. The Nats took him out of Boston College. He is not a top prospect, to be sure. He's an older prospect. This season will be his age 26 season, but he hit really well last season. 
567 plate appearances for AA Harrisburg, AAA Rochester, OPS of 871. I don't know, maybe I misread this. I thought there was at least a decent chance of Alou making the regular season opening roster. Were you surprised that Alou got cut this quickly? Yeah, I was. I thought he'd be one of the guys in it down to the wire, maybe not necessarily winning that job, but being in it. I think what's interesting, Davey talked about that, like the reasoning behind sending him down was so that he can start getting more consistent at bats and, you know, get four at bats and play a lot more innings in the field. They still want him to play second base and third base, even some outfield. It's the kind of things you say with a prospect. I get that. But in a lose case, like you just outlined, he's not really considered high level guy. I don't think they see him as somebody who someday is going to be their starting third baseman or second baseman, anything like that. His ceiling is probably as a utility player. So if that's the case, why not let him try to win that job right now? Like, are you stunning his development or growth at all if he's not getting at bats every day? Now, let's be clear, whoever wins that last spot on the bench, it's not going to be a whole lot of playing time for you. So somebody like, say, Jeter Downs, who is still here in camp, formerly a top prospect of the uh, Red Sox and the Dodgers, who's cooled off dramatically, you know, they are looking at him potentially as a utility guy in the big leagues now. But I would think he's somebody you do want playing every day at AAA because maybe he can ultimately recapture what he was supposed to be. Whereas Jake Alou probably is destined, if he makes it, to be more of a utility guy, a bench player. So yeah, I was a little bit surprised by that at least and the reasoning behind it I thought he'd be in the mix you know down to the wire there's not a lot of guys left in camp and they have some decisions to make they have a backup infielder in Ildemaro Vargas Riley Adams the backup catcher there's two more spots on the bench that are up for grabs one will be an outfielder for sure Alex calls doing everything he can to lock that up he's hitting like 462 now as we tape this so there's one more spot give it to another outfielder like Stone Garrett you can do an infielder like Jeter Downs or uh, Lionel Valera is another kid in camp. We don't know a whole lot about. Davey seems to like him. Or you go the straight up pinch hitter slugger route and Matt Adams is still here in camp and actually looks pretty good. Now, I don't know if that's enough to get him on the team and what kind of role that really means for him. But I am a little surprised because I thought Alou fit maybe what you'd want in a 26th man on a big league roster. Yeah, and he's obviously the kind of guy who you want to see the Nats have on their team this coming season. You know, even though he is an older prospect, he's still mid 20s, showed well for himself last season. You know, maybe there is something there with him. We'll see. Now, I know normally you get cut this quickly. You have like no shot of making the regular season opening roster. If Alou does really well in minor league camp and others falter, is there a chance that he would break camp with the Nats, quote unquote, and be on their opening day roster, or is that pretty much out the window at this point? It's funny, Davey actually even said, and he, and he told Jake as they were having their meeting to send him down, like, hey, this doesn't necessarily mean anything. We're always watching you. You know, we haven't set our roster yet. I don't think I've ever seen that happen, though, outside of an injury, something happening. Last year, they had sent Lucius Fox down, and then it was uh, A. Ray Adrianza got hurt right in the last week of camp, and all of a sudden, Lucius is making the team. Outside of something like that, I don't know that I've ever seen somebody actually get cut in March, and then get called back up to make the team on opening day. Now, you never say never, but we also have to point out, and you know, it's the time of year to, to make this point, and we'll say it the next few weeks until opening day. We focus a lot on who are the opening 26 on the team. It really doesn't mean that much. These things change very quickly. They will have 
ups and downs in April and beyond. Just because you don't make the opening day roster doesn't mean you won't spend a good chunk of the season in D.C. Just because you do make it doesn't mean you're going to be around long. There's almost always somebody who makes the team and by April 20th is gone and never heard from again. So that could certainly happen in this case. I think we're going to see Jake Alou in the big leagues this year, but it looks like that won't be on opening day. Yeah, Alou feels like he'll be one of the first guys called up from AAA come the regular season, whenever that need presents itself. Hey, are you a law firm partner or associate stuck in the minor leagues like Joey Fourbags Manessis? Your employer might be holding you back from your true potential. Maybe another law firm can get you what you need. More money, better support, better client contacts, or a better brand name. You need a better agent. You need Mason Kalfas. Mason Kalfas, he started Zenith Legal in 2015 to be the best legal recruiter in the nation, and he has succeeded. He has placed partners and associates at over half of the largest 100 law firms in the U.S. He specializes in working with lawyers at major law firms and government agencies such as the DOJ and SEC. Like Joey Menezes' big breakout, Mason Kalfas can help you identify what you really need to accelerate your legal career. He will work with you to find the best law firm for your practice and negotiate you the absolute best deal, a deal worthy of a superstar free agent. The legal market still is very strong in 2022, and there's no better time than the present to think about making a move. You need to call Mason Kalfas at Zenith Legal. His number is 202-486-3535. Or you can check out his website, zenithlegal.com. He has a team of recruiters across the country, but you will get tons of personal attention from Mason. It's time to launch your career into the upper deck. Call Mason Kalfas today. Go Nats and go Joey. Fastball over the inside corner. Strike three called, and that'll do it for the Cardinals here in the bottom of the first inning. Two strikeouts for Mackenzie Gore. The Nats on Sunday afternoon, a 5-1 Grapefruit League loss at the St. Louis Cardinals. It was a Mackenzie Gore day, four runs in four innings. He gave up four hits, issued two walks, did have three strikeouts. With the caveat that we always have to say of it's spring training and, you know, you're never quite sure exactly what to make of these outings. What stood out to you from Mackenzie Gore? I mean, obviously his spring training outings are of particular interest. Yeah. The last couple have not been that great. His previous start in the same stadium in Jupiter, he walked the leadoff batter on four pitches and was not happy about that. This time, same stadium in Jupiter, he walks the leadoff batter on five pitches. So a little improvement there. He threw one strike before he issued the walk. But the first eight batters he faced, five of them reached, three of them had extra base hits. He was falling behind the count. He was getting hit hard, a lot of 100 plus mile an hour exit velocity. And I'm thinking to myself, boy, this is not going well. And like, look, we're starting to get a little closer to opening day. It's time to start seeing who this guy is supposed to be. But he flipped a switch there. And over the last two innings, two plus innings, retired eight of the last nine that he faced and looked a lot better. And it was interesting hearing from him and hearing from Davey Martinez afterwards. The issue they felt like was mechanical with his fastball. He was not in line. He was kind of flying open. Fastball was tailing away, not working. And what they actually told him, Davey and Jim Hickey told him after the second inning was start throwing a bunch of changeups. And I thought that was interesting because you don't normally do that in an attempt to then find your fastball, but they thought that the changeup for him is a pitch that requires full extension of your arm before you let it go. 
and that by doing that, he found his proper release point and mechanics and then started throwing fastballs, and he had success the last two innings. So they were all pleased with how that finished. McKenzie was not happy the way it started, but definitely happy, as he said, when these things happen to him very often in his career, that ends up turning into a six or eight run start, a blow up kind of start, and he shut it down and kept it at four. So that's a good sign that he has the ability to do that and that the team, the coaching staff spotted some things they thought they could do with it. But he's got two, maybe three more starts before he makes his season debut and his Nationals debut. This is a guy, very high hopes, that I think a lot of people view as potentially being their number one starter when it's all said and done. I would like to see, I'm sure a lot of people would like to see at some point before they head north, that one start from him and say, oh, wow, okay, there it is. I see now why they're so high on him. We've seen some glimpses, but we haven't really seen him put it all together yet. Mackenzie Gore so far this spring training season, four games, all of which he has started, 10 innings, 12 hits. He's issued four walks, six strikeouts. He's given up seven runs, six earned. He's got an ERA of 540. Again, grapefruit league stats. You take from them what you want. But yeah, I mean, it's not been like a banner spring training campaign for him. What about Cade Cavalli? I know he's had some strikeouts, hasn't necessarily pitched a ton. What's the sense of how he has done so far this exhibition season? He finally got his first true start the other night against Team Israel. And he, again, also was a little bit shaky. He did, you know, finally overwhelm them and had the six strikeouts, but wasn't a totally clean appearance. I think there are some things that he still needs to kind of start to figure out. And he's got a few more to try to get this done. The good news is he is now on a five day schedule rotation. There's still time for some things to change. But if you want to do the math, we're at a point now where you can kind of see how it all lines up. It's Patrick Corbin, one, Josiah Gray, two, Mackenzie Gore, three, Trevor Williams, four, Kate Cavalli, five. Again, that could change, but right now that's how they're lined up, and I have a hunch that's where we're headed with all this. I think the next time and the next two times out really is important. I don't care about spring training results. I don't care about ERAs. You do, however, want to see in those last couple starts, in addition to building their arms up, so now that they are getting up to the 90, 100 pitch mark, you want to see some more consistency and some success, especially as they're facing big league hitters here who are in the game for more than just one at bat apiece. Yeah, I think what's tricky though, realistically, if you're Mike Rizzo, if you're Davey Martinez, if not these guys, then who? Like, you really don't have many other viable options to put in your rotation. Like, are there guys? Sure. But, like, the idea really is for that five that you just laid out to be the five. It is funny with the Nats, for all of the big picture uncertainty, the opening day roster seems kind of easy to predict. Like, I think we have a pretty good sense of what this team is going to look like from starting lineup to bench, with the exception of like, you know, the last, what, two or three spots on the bench, maybe a few bullpen spots. But like, otherwise, it's kind of set, you know? And like, these are the guys who the team needs to be ready to go for the regular season. So we'll see what ends up happening. Yeah. And it's been that way from the beginning. And it's a little odd for a team coming off 107 losses, but it has felt that way that there's not a lot up for grabs. Uh, and I agree with the rotation. I think one of those five would have had to, you know, well, four of them were, I think, were locks. In Cavalli's case, I think he would have had to really not look ready or some kind of injury or something like that for them to look otherwise because your options beyond that, you know, in terms of opening day, it's probably somebody like Chad Cool or Corey Abbott or Willie Peralta. I don't think that's really what they're looking for to start the year. So, there may be some bumps. There may It may not be a perfectly smooth beginning to the season, but I think 
Cade Cavalli needs to be in the rotation. I think they know that. They've known that all along. They just wanted to make sure that he was good and healthy, and now he is pitching every fifth day. I mean, remember last season, the idea was, hey, by May, he's in the rotation. By June, he's in the rotation. And the season didn't end up playing out that way. So like, this needs to be a year in which he's at the major league level. If he takes some bumps, fine, but like, let him get that experience, stay healthy, and hopefully the ascent begins. Well, you tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter, at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram, at NatsChatPodcast. And like we told you earlier, you can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to NatsChatPodcast.square.site. If you're listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, please give the podcast a five-star rating. If you haven't yet done that, you can now rate podcasts on both Apple and on Spotify. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the great music that takes us in and out of each episode of the Nats Chat Podcast. And for Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. 2-1 pitch, clobber, deep left field. Joey Manessis' legend continues. The bat might have gone farther than the ball.